You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 132. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. You know, I talk about food, I talk about lifestyle, but I really think that finances are so important and it's so prevalent. Financial problems are so prevalent that I want to talk about this more. Welcome back, veggie lovers, and happy Sunday. I have such a fun episode of Veggie Doctor Radio for all of you parents, but also this might be helpful for grandparents, anybody that talks to kids about anything, but including money, or if you yourself are having financial struggles and you want to hear an inspirational story, this is definitely going to apply to you. Speaking with Kelly Calderon, who is a personal finance educator and has a really cool program. But before I tell you more about her, please know that I have some really cool freebies, lots of them, lots of free downloads on my website, dryami.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free, F-R-E-E. So now we have the nutrients of concern download so you can learn more about vitamin D and calcium and all of that stuff that comes from the nutrients of concern series that I did how to replace meat, how to replace dairy, eating out, the plant-based shopping list, zero waste swaps, and more. So go to dryami.com forward slash free to check out those downloads. You can download one, download them all, share them with friends and family. I would love it. I hope that they are very helpful and useful for you. I also want to thank all of you that have purchased and read my book and left a review for it. I appreciate you so much. It's called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook on all your major online booksellers. So please check it out. It's called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. I want to thank Kay Lockridge, who left a five-star review on Apple Podcast entitled, Dr. Yami is Wonderful. I'm so glad I discovered Dr. Yami while listening to the Switch for Good podcast. I have been plant-based for two years, but the rest of my family is still omnivorous. I love all of Dr. Yami's tips and recipes specifically for kids. She has a gentle approach and I find to be much easier to apply with my own family. There are always great guests and Dr. Yami asks all the right questions. I wish Dr. Yami could be my own children's pediatrician. She is wonderful. Aw, thank you so much, Kay Lockridge. I would love to be the pediatrician for all these amazing, beautiful children 
But I'm glad that I get to speak to you via the podcast, and I'm so, so happy that it's useful for you. All right, so let me tell you about Kelly Calderon. Kelly Calderon is a personal finance educator, debt survivor, and parenting coach. She has combined her classroom teaching background and the lessons she learned while getting her own finances back on track to form the Smart Money Academy. Her mission equip the next generation with the tools and the know-how to care for themselves financially, build wealth, and make an impact on the world. And I am really, really so grateful to have this conversation because I have had to learn the hard way about finances. And I'm so glad that I learned when I did. And I feel like my husband and I were on track and we feel, we feel good. We're able to make the decisions that we want to make for our lives instead of feeling trapped by debt. And as I've gotten older and wiser, I've learned that financial health is very important to overall well being. When we are not financially healthy, it has a lot of impacts. It impacts our health. It brings stress. It raises your cortisol. You don't sleep well. It impacts your relationships. So this is really important. And, you know, I talk about food. I talk about lifestyle, but I really think that finances are so important and it's so prevalent. Financial problems are so prevalent that I want to talk about this more. And I have talked about financial independence on this podcast before many, many episodes back, but I want to have more conversations. So this episode, particularly, we're going to talk about kids and how to talk to kids about money. We learn about Kelly's story, why she became passionate about teaching kids about money, why money is a taboo topic in our society, what are some limiting beliefs that we hold around money, but we also talked about how we start talking about money to our kids. At what age? What do you say? How do you work with money? Do you pay them for chores or give them an allowance? Should you require them to donate to charity or save them a, a certain percentage of money? And should we worry if we have kids that have certain financial personalities that are concerning? Like, do you have a little spender or do you have a little stingy kid that doesn't want to spend any money on anything? So I think that this was really helpful. She definitely taught me things I didn't know. I love her perspective and I love what she's doing. And I think that you're really going to enjoy this episode. But please also check her out at thesmartmoneyacademy.com. That's thesmartmoneyacademy.com. So here is this conversation between me and Kelly Calderon of thesmartmoneyacademy.com. Enjoy. Kelly Calderon, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, this is a topic that I am really excited to talk about because as I've gone through life and gotten older and gotten wiser, you know, learned the lessons of life, I've realized that one of the key pillars to wellness is financial health and feeling Absolutely. financially confident. And my husband and I, we had to learn the hard way, you know, as a lot of us do. Yes. Being both physicians, we were told to just take as many loans as you want because it'll be fine. You'll be able to pay everything back. We were naive. It was exciting. We had never really had money before. So we're like, oh yeah, money. It's going to be so exciting. So we had to learn the hard way and, you know, 
little by little, we've been able to become debt free and it's a really great feeling, but we feel like it is such a gift to be able to pass that down early to the next generation instead of each generation having to learn lessons the hard way like we did. So tell me, why are you so passionate about teaching kids about money? Yeah. So basically the same reason is that we had to learn things the hard way. We, um, made a huge mess of our finances. Um, part of it was student loans. Actually, a lot of it was student loans. We had a car payment. We, we just were not managing our money well. We were living paycheck to paycheck. Um, we actually had a bankruptcy at one point in time and then went right back to where we were. We had a, a car repossessed. Wow. Went right back to where we were. And the stress was just unbelievable. At this point, we had two kids and, and they were gluten-free. So they were on a special diet they, I'm paying for childcare. I'm on a teacher salary. And we really, we nearly divorced just because mm. we couldn't, the stress was unbelievable. Um, and so we just woke up one day and said, this is our mess. We've got to get a hold of it. We've got to change our habits, our mindset and all of that. So we, um, went through a process. We ended up paying $80,000 of debt in two years. Wow. Um, we've been debt-free ever since. Yeah. <laughs> been debt-free ever since other than our home. And that's been, gosh, six, seven years now. And, um, just, it became our passion to make sure that our kids didn't follow in the same sense that we did. And then eventually it grew to, well, what if it wasn't just our kids? What if, you know, their friends and their spouses and the whole next generation knew how to manage their money and we could, you know, eliminate some of these social programs or they could be using their money to make an impact around the world. So it really just grew into this huge passion of, you know, empowering the whole next generation. Oh, I love it so much. And I thank you so much because like I said, this is so important. And I wish I had this when I was younger, but let's, let's step back a moment. Cause I, I want to talk about how you felt when you were going through these struggles because it's so common, right? I mean, don't like the majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. I mean, this is a really common thing, but tell me the emotions you were going through. Like when you got your car repossessed, what was that like? <laughs> oh my gosh, that was, so we thought it was stolen. We got up in the morning and, um, yeah, it was gone and we called the police and they were like, yeah, no, your car's been repossessed. So it was, um, humiliating. It was incredibly stressful. It was like an elephant sitting yeah. on our chest oh. all the time. And it just, you know, it, it's it's like a race car careening down the path. And all it takes is a small pebble in the road to completely throw you off course. So when you're living with no margin in your life, it, you know, it just doesn't take very much to really, really throw you off. So, you know, yes, the car repossession was huge, but it could have been something as small as a broken washer or, yeah. you know we missed a few days of work because we were sick, that sort of thing. Which happens often. I mean, you always think about having an emergency fund, but it seems like emergencies are like every day, right? There's always something yeah. breaking. We were just talking about, you know, being homeowners and there's always something not fun to pay for, like, right? Like your roof mm -hmm. starts leaking or something breaks. So those things are always around the corner. And you mentioned that your marriage was strained too. And one of the most mm -hmm. common reasons for divorce is financial problems. So this is a really important topic. But why is money so taboo? A lot of us struggle with it. A lot of us don't learn how to manage our money, yet we don't want to talk about money. Why is it so taboo? I just think there's a lot of shame around money. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of shame of not having enough, a lot of shame of having too much, of maybe how you got it. Maybe you're not proud of your job or, you know, I just think there's so much shame around 
oh, I've got more than you, or I've got less than you. And there's just this embarrassment of, I don't know, not wanting to be honest about it and wanting to just put on the show of having all of the things or having the ability to get all of the things instead of just being honest and saying, you know, that's not where I'm at, or that's not a great choice for me or that sort of thing. Yes. Yes. And you're right. I think the shame goes both ways because we are ashamed if we don't manage our money properly and we may not have as much as we want to have, but then I feel like it's taboo to talk about how much you do have. You get shamed because, oh, well, you know, you're like one of those elite rich people or whatever, you know? And so then people are afraid to make too much money, (laughs) you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like you're stuck in this really weird place. What are some typical unhelpful money beliefs that we commonly hold that you encounter often in what you do? Um, So I was a teacher for 20 years, a classroom teacher and, um, and grew up in a, in, you know, growing up in my home and just growing up in the eighties and everything, there was this idea of making money is bad Mm. and money is evil. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I left the classroom and became a business owner, I had to get over a lot of those beliefs that businesses are evil and out to take advantage of people and, and things like that. And just learn that, this is, you know, a part of life that it can be done ethically. You can be responsible with, um, you know, your extra money if you have extra money or it's okay to struggle if you're at a certain point in your life. You know, I just think that, um, this belief of wanting to earn money is bad, is hurting us and our kids. Yeah. And what's weird about it is we live in a capital capitalistic culture and society. So it's like the way that we exchange value is money. So if we have these beliefs that money is bad, that's kind of a problem, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I just think, you know, and and then there's all these also self-worth issues of, am I worth, um, earning that kind of money or am I capable of earning that kind of money? And, um, I learned a lot from my husband. He, Really, he always has this question in his mind, well, if they can do it, why not me? And he's achieved such amazing things. And, you know, I did not have those beliefs. And I would just sit back and think, how does he achieve so much? And I'm not. But it really was his mindset that he was capable and worthy and he was going to go for it. And I had to learn to adopt those thoughts. Yes, thoughts become things for sure. And we are sometimes our own worst enemy when it comes to achieving our dreams and our goals because we hold ourselves back with what we believe and what we think. So I think it's important for all of us to unearth those deep-seated limiting beliefs that we have about money because I think all of us have some of them, right? Some different beliefs about it. What about- Thinking that it's okay because I feel like I, so I am generation X and I feel like I grew up at a time when credit cards were booming. And so Mm -hmm. one of the beliefs was it's okay. Just put it on credit, you know? And so I grew up with like believing that taking loans and having credit cards and all of that was just the normal way to live life. What kind of things do you encounter around that? Yeah, I was, I was told the same thing, like get used to having a car payment your whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, it's a fact of life. And that's how we got in trouble was credit cards. We, um, we used to go shopping <laughs> during our date. Our favorite date night was to take our credit cards and go to the outlet mall oh and just goodness. go crazy. And so, yeah. Um, 
just uh, for me, what I teach kids is I just show them examples of what happens when we use credit cards or loans. Like if I'm going to use my credit card and make the minimum payment, this is how much money is going to the credit card company. This is how long I'm paying on that item. What happens when I double that? Oh, it really shortens the amount of money that the credit card's company is going to get from me. It really shortens the amount of time that I'm paying on it. What if I choose to pay that off immediately? You know, and so, and then I'm getting the benefit of the points or whatever rewards there might be, but I'm not having to carry any debt or pay the credit card company any interest. Mm -hmm. And so I just really lay that, I try not to make credit cards evil um, because yes, even though my husband and I got in trouble with credit card, uh, credit cards, that was not the credit card's fault. That was ours and our mismanagement. And so I just try to lay that out very factual for kids and say, you know, this is what happens. And these are the different scenarios. And so use it responsibly. Don't use it on depreciating items for sure. Um, you know, not if you're going to make the minimum payment and I just try to approach it from that aspect. Yeah. Well, speaking of kids, what age should we start to talk to kids about money? Is there an age that they can start understanding some of these concepts or it's too young or when is it too late? Tell me more. Never too old. Um, I would say as soon as they are starting to ask for things, right? So probably in their toddler years, right? When they get to the point that they're no longer putting coins in their mouth and you can start <laughs> to <laughs> show them uh, money, they need to see us at the store transacting with cash money because mm -hmm. this whole virtual thing and using debit cards, it's very, very abstract. And kids are not capable of uh, understanding abstract content, concepts until they are like eight, nine, 10. And so when they when little kids see us go to the store and swipe a card, they have no idea of what all has transacted behind that. So we need to be handling real cash with them when they're really young. So. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's almost like magical, right? You just have yes. this plastic piece of card that has endless power to get whatever you want. Yes. I didn't even think about that, but that is, is really important. But you said that by eight or 10, they might be able to understand more of the abstract exchange of value with cards. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to step back a little bit. We started talking about financial struggles. Is there such a thing as financial trauma? I don't know if I made this up or if it really exists, but I'm thinking, you know, some of us have had these financial traumas. So how can we take our past and what we've learned from our past and use that in a positive way instead of passing down fear, you know, and limiting beliefs to our children when it comes to finances. Yeah, I, I definitely believe financial trauma happens. I mean, and it could be something that you brought onto yourself, like my husband and I did, or it could be something that has happened out in the world, such as COVID. Um, and so I definitely believe that that happens. I think that we need to one, be very self-aware, like always analyzing where, where are my limiting beliefs? I had um, I came up against this and a, a new one recently. My husband suggested that we take a, um, this was actually a couple of years ago, suggested that we take an international trip. And I caught my breath and I, I had to kind of stop and analyze like, what is that? Where is that coming from? And really what it was, was a limiting belief that other people travel internationally, not me, right? They're going to let everybody else on the airplane, but they'll stop me from getting onto the plane. And so that was, I had to be really self-aware of that. And then I think the other aspect of that is to always be talking to our kids, right? Um, and just be saying like, 
you know, I used to struggle with this, or I'm still struggling with this, or we need to be, when I was, I was a classroom teacher for 20 years. And one of the things that we did with reading was that we would read a book and then the teacher would stop and model what they were thinking. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I see the character doing this and this and this. Well, I think as, as parents, we need to be doing that with money. So I'm in the store and I'm about to buy this and we need to stop and model for our kids. I am thinking that this is a good buy because of this, this, and this reason. Or I am thinking that the, I should not buy this because it does not, you know, fit this criteria or fit into our budget or something like that. And so I think modeling our thinking for our kids and showing them where we're coming from um, is really important. And then we'll also be a little more self-aware and catch ourselves if there's any limiting beliefs bubbling up during that time. And we can work through those two at the same time. Yes, exactly. Or we can talk through a purchase that maybe isn't so good. I've gotten into that habit of pretty much telling my kids what everything costs so that they understand the value. Recently completing a kitchen remodel that I am so happy for. I've been saving for years so I can pay for it cash. And, you know, I definitely splurged on some items that were worth it to me, but I want them to know how much it costs to do that. I want them to know that this is not just something that magically appears. Like I worked hard for this. I saved for it. And now I'm building a kitchen that I want. But when I first started doing that, when I first started telling them how much stuff costs, it was a little bit difficult. Like I was just mm-hmm. like, Ugh, like, man, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. But as I got more used to it, I felt like it is good because I want them to understand. And I want them to start thinking about how they would make decisions when mm-hmm. they're older and they have their life. You know, they have some money so they can decide if they want to buy things and think about whether it's worth it to them. And also our family... Absolutely. We try to be environmentally conscious and not just waste a bunch of stuff. So we talk about that stuff too, like what's going to be a good choice environmentally and for our minimalistic lifestyle. So I think that's a really good practice. Now, I think, on the, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, conversations are so crucial. It, I just want to touch on that one more time. So especially with our teens, you know, building on what you said, it is also important to show our teens our income eventually mm. when they get to that point, mm-hmm. because they need to understand the amount of money that you're bringing in the home to afford them the lifestyle that they are used to. Um, when they get out into the world and they f- can't afford that same lifestyle, they start to feel like they're failing, right? Yes, or, yes. or So knowing our in- their, our income is going to help them to one, make a career choice, right? And two, help them to understand that I'm at a starting point. I'm building, right? We've been spending years and years building this lifestyle that they're used to. And so we need to share our beginning stories with them. Like when I was in college, I had lawn furniture in the living room, or I drove a, you know, a cash car that had dents all over it and stuff like that. It's okay to share those stories with them. And that releases some of that shame that we talked about earlier, because Mm -hmm. when they feel shame or when they feel like they're falling behind or that they're failing, one, they're going to be afraid to talk to you about it. And two, they're going to might possibly reach for a credit card to fix that feeling. Yes. And so the more we share our struggles and our beginning stories and and the how much things cost and how much we're making, the more we release that shame and open up those conversations. Yes. Oh, that is so important and so valuable because that applies to so many things, not just money. We compare ourselves to somebody that's several step steps ahead of us and we think why aren't we there already when they had to go through what we did? 
years before. Mm -hmm. So if our kids believe like I get a job and I immediately, I'm going to be able to afford all this stuff and have this lifestyle, then you're right. It's going to feel like there's something wrong when in fact, they still have to go through all those stages and all those steps beforehand to get to where they want to be. That's very important. Well, thank you for that. Okay. So let's talk about the flip side. So what about, you know, you've gone through all your stuff and you've taken care of your finances and now you are financially successful. You feel very confident, uh, maybe even financially independent. How do we start to teach our kids about earning and saving money? Because like you said, if they live in a life where there doesn't seem to be a struggle and maybe you're not talking about mistakes that you're making as much as you're enjoying the fruits of your labor. How can we help them for the future? So I definitely think kids need to um, have access to cash, whether they're earning it or whatever, you know, even gift money um, that they might get from grandparents or something. They need to be able to have uh, to be managing that themselves. Or let's say that you go to, I don't know, Six Flags, because I'm here in Texas. We go to Six Flags for the day, and I give my kids a budget. Like, you're allowed to spend this much on snacks and games and things like that. And then they learn from those experiences. Maybe it's the beginning of the school year. Here's a budget for your clothes. You can buy whatever you want, but you have to have X number of pairs of pants and X number of shirts and, and a pair of shoes and things like that. And so we we need to be giving them practice of budgeting, spending money, making decisions, shopping for the best deal and making mistakes. This is the hardest thing as parents, right? So we're going to, we see that they're about to make a mistake and we want to jump in and rescue. And I, I absolutely think we should counsel them and say, you know, maybe that's not the best decision or have you thought about X, Y, and Z, but if they are set on making that purchase, we have to, we need to sit on our hands and let them do that. And that is hard because my belief is that we need to make a certain number of mistakes in life before we've mastered something. And I would much rather kids be making a mistake, you know, with a, with a small amount of money as a kid, instead of as an adult with a credit card or with their rent money or something like that. And so if we think of it as, okay, you have to make this number of money, number, this many mistakes. And we, we sit back and allow them to do that. Then really what we're doing is allowing them to get to a, a state of mastery and confidence. Ah, this concept is gold. I'm going to apply to something else that I've been allowing my kids to make mistakes on and it's cooking. So (laughs) recently I've stepped back and I, I really want, I have two boys. They're 11 and 15 and I want them to leave this house able to actually make a meal and prepare food for themselves (laughs) and other people possibly. But it was hard for me to let go because I'm always swooping in and, and be like, no, it's not, that's not how you do it. You do it this way. And, I, and then I learned they can't learn if I'm constantly in there do it, you know, doing it for them. Yes. So, you know, and I remember exactly when this thought went through my mind, it was pancakes. Like I was letting my son make the pancakes, but he wasn't making them round. And I was like, no, no. That, and then like right in the middle of the sentence, I was like, you know what? You need to practice. And I just <laughs> left the kitchen. I'm like, deep breaths. <laughs> It's going to be fine. You know, and they weren't perfect, but that's the only way he's going to learn. And this Mm -hmm. totally applies to money too. I haven't actually, you know, my kids have their own money, but I love this idea of, okay, I'm going to give you this amount of money to buy these things that you need so that they can start practicing some of those things too. I'm going to try that. But I, I think it's so true. Practice and making mistakes. And the other word that comes to my mind is safety net. 
Because <laughs> just like you were saying, they're still in the nest. They still have us around to reflect afterward. Okay, so what did you think about the decision? Or maybe even a month later, what do you think about that purchase you made for the $100 pants? You know, was it worth it or not, you know? And they're still in that safety net where they can make mistakes without it being a huge deal, you know? So that's so good. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so on the same lines, how about an allowance or kids earning money through chores? What are your thoughts on those things? So outside of gifts, I really believe that money should be earned. Um, nowhere okay. in real life does anybody hand you money for breathing, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if we're using, if, if we're being, trying to teach our kids real life concepts, I think it really needs to be earned. Now, I realize that um, there are different thoughts on on allowance. And I've seen the benefits of both, right? So like we make our kids earn an allowance. Um, they or Their chores are paid, that sort of thing. And yet they're not always really willing to jump in and do free community work, right? And so I yeah. know that those families who have kids do chores as part of their contribution to the family, and they're really used to that, but they're lacking on the money management end maybe. And so we really need to strike a balance in my house. Chores again are paid. Um, and we get out into the community and do some community work that way to practice the other thing. So I just ask parents to really sit down together and think about what they're, what are they trying to teach their kids through chores and allowance, and then to be really intentional about it. And then to be really consistent about it. So, you know, I really think that there are benefits both ways. And so if you are assigning chores as your family contribution, that's fine, but allow them to earn money through extra outside jobs other than their, their normal list. But, um, just be intentional, be, do it for a reason, do it consistently. Um, and I think that, you know, they're going to learn something from it one way or another. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you specified earlier that the younger children should see cash and use cash. But is there a certain age where it's okay to start using debit cards? Because I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I have a super fast-paced lifestyle and I hate going to the bank and I personally hate cash. I like the actual money, you know, cash because I like just one little wallet and stuff. And so we, we are using debit cards, like those special kids debit cards with my kids where I can transfer it. But they're 11 and 15. I feel like it's working. But at what age do you think that that's okay to use versus giving them cash for their chores? So let me back up and talk about little kids real quick with the cash. Um, they, they've they got to be able to handle it and, and things like that. So if we've got them saving in a jar... Um, just something to think about, you know, because with kids, it's always big, right? Like at Christmas time, they always want the biggest box, even though yeah. maybe there's something really cool in the little box. So when they're saving in a jar, think about the difference of four quarters laying on the bottom of the jar versus a crumpled up dollar bill, right? They mm-hmm. think that that dollar bill is so much bigger and that's exciting and motivating and things like that. They need to be able to take that money to the store and give it to the cashier and get a toy in exchange. They're starting to understand how money works, right? And how our economy works. When they get eight, nine, 10, when they start to get to the understanding that, okay, the number on my bank statement is the number of dollars that I have, even though I can't see it or touch it, even though it's over there in the bank, I understand that it's still mine. Then they're ready to have a debit card. 
Okay. So um, at that point, they understand the abstractness of it. Like they understand that when I swipe my card, I'm actually giving them some of my physical dollars, even though I ha- don't have them in my hand and I'm getting something in exchange. And so um, at that point, I think they're ready for a debit card or something like that. But, you know, if a, a three-year-old, I show them a card and I say, okay, there's $5. They have no concept of, well, where's the $5? And they're looking yeah. around and not understanding what to do with that. And so when your kids start to show that they can understand that, you know, my money's in the bank and I can't see it, but I know it's there because the bank tells me I have this much, then they're ready for their own debit card and savings account. Got it. That makes so much sense. Okay. So then my next question is, we are paying our kids for chores or however we decide to do it and each family decides to do it. Should we require that children save a certain amount as like savings, like some kind of kid emergency fund or give away a certain percentage of their money for charity? Should that be a requirement, a suggestion? How would you recommend we do those things? I do not think it should be a requirement only because it has, when things are required, it has the potential of backfiring, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what I teach in my classes is, hey, we've studied millionaires and millionaires do these things with their money. And if you want to be a millionaire or even more, then it might be a good idea for you to do the same thing, right? And one of the things they do is to donate their money. And so as we have encouraged that with our kids by donating money as a family, we involve them in that process. What charities are we interested in? Where should we donate our time? And so we're we're modeling that for them. We're giving them the experience of the joy that it brings to do that. But really, it's up to them to make the decision to do that. Um, the same with savings, right? So we've taken some amazing vacations. Well, we've shown them that we saved up to make this happen. Um, we've given we've given them the tools to save up for themselves. Like let's set a goal, you know, and how much do you need to save to get there? And how often do you need to save? And here's a chart to color it in. And so we'll motivate them and we show them the power of it, but we do not require it. So if they've been saving for a really long time and then they find something else they want to buy. we'll probably counsel them and say, that's not what you were saving for. Are you sure you want to do that? But again, we're going to back off and let them make that mistake um, because they need all the practice they can get managing their own money now to make better decisions in the future. That's so cool. Do you talk about your charity decisions as a family together? Do you talk to your kids about that? What you guys decide to donate to and those kinds of things. Absolutely. And we involve them with it. Like what is, you know, what's on your heart right now? What, what are you concerned about in the world and where can we put our money together as a family, um, you know, to, to make an impact. Now they understand that it is our money. So we ultimately have the decision, but we'd love to hear their, their info info. And if they, if we don't donate to where they want us to, well, they have the freedom to use their own money to do that. Yes. That's so cool. All right. So what comes to my mind is different money personalities because we all have them, right? Like everybody has their different money personality. And I found that my kids, you know, they're different ages, so they're different stages. But my older one, like getting him to spend any money is like painful. Like he doesn't want to spend any money. But then again, he also isn't super generous. Like I don't think he's ever donated to charity through his money. My younger one, he loves spending his money. Now he hasn't gone broke, so that's good, but he also is super generous. So he sees things and he wants to donate to them. And so 
and he's younger. So I'm thinking maybe he's just a little looser with his money because of his age, but I don't know. So should we worry if we have some kids that have these very distinct money personalities? Does that mean that that's how they're going to be forever? What, what do you see? What kind of patterns do you see in the kids that you teach? So, um, I love this question and there is, um, you know, if your kids don't have a whole lot of money yet, you can watch how they act with their Halloween candy and that will indicate (laughs) how they will be with their money. Um, I don't think we need to worry, but I think we need to analyze what's going on, right? So savers tend to fall into two categories. One, there's kids who save because they like to save. Mm -hmm. Um, They like that big number in the bank account. It makes them feel good, you know, whatever it is. So if that's the case, then we need to show them other ways to feel good with their money other than having a big number in the bank account. Other kids who like to say do it because it makes them feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a whole different realm. And so we need to fi- help them find security in other ways, right? Through our faith, through our family, through our health. Um, and so really analyzing why, what is my kid getting out of this behavior and how can I teach them to find that, that fix, if you will, that reward somewhere else. Um, for spenders, the, obviously they get a lot of joy out of it. Well, let's show them some ways to get joy and have fun for free without spending a lot of money or to help others for free or, you know, whatever it may be. And so we really need to focus on what are they getting out of it? And then how can I show them other ways to get the same feeling? Cool. I love those tips. That's great. I think it's just also just cute to see how their little personalities can develop so young, you know, the little patterns that they have. And and like you said, it's good because then they practice, they start practicing early and they make the mistakes early. You know, they buy that toy that was super expensive that they played for, played with for only like two days. And they're just like, "Eh." (laughs) reflect upon that. Maybe that wasn't such a great purchase after all. (laughs) So whenever you see other parents raising their kids and money, what are some mistakes that you see parents making before they've learned some of these concepts? I, my soapbox, I'll get on my soapbox here for a minute, is this phrase, we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I realize that we're kind of in a, in a unique env- uh, ec- economic situation right now. And so that is true for many families. But beyond that, a lot of times we use that catchphrase as something, we say it when we don't want to buy our kids something that they've asked for, right? Like, oh, can I have this toy? No, we can't afford it. And I want parents to understand that kids digest that differently than what we intend. So when we say we can't afford it, what we mean is that's not a good buy. That's not a good purchase. This is not a good time. They hear, oh, we're not lucky with money. Oh, money is out of our control. Maybe I shouldn't be asking for new shoes when I need them because it puts more stress on my family. And so we need to be, we need to just rephrase that and say, you know what? That's not a good choice with our money. That's not in the budget right now. Um, I'm happy to help you save up for that purchase. Um, you know, there's a million other things we can say, and it's hard because then that puts the onus on us. We are essentially saying no, as opposed to saying the phrase, we can't afford it, which means, hey, that's not my fault. Right. And so, you know, as parents, we have to step up and show our kids that money management is all about making choices. And some of those choices are hard. Some of those choices make people unhappy. But in the long run, this is the right thing for us and our family. Yes. Oh, and that's just the power of words and thoughts again, right? Mm -hmm. This is so powerful. I caught myself making some of those, you know, word choices 
with my own business. I'm a business owner. And I remember in the past saying, oh, I can't afford that. But then being like, actually, I can afford it. I just don't want to spend my money on that. You know, it's more like we just use that term to say, I don't want it, but I could afford it. Yeah, I can spend money on that, but I don't want to. I just choose not to spend my money on that right now. And that's an easier way to say it than putting this thought of, I don't have enough. So there's scarcity, that scarcity feeling. I don't have enough. I do have enough. I just don't want to use it that way, (laughs) you know? Absolutely. They they digest it so differently than what we intend them to. And so, you know, sometimes I met a woman who was afraid to ask her parents for new shoes when she needed them because of that phrase. So it's heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, again, I say this on my show all the time is this is not intended to shame parents or guilt them because we all grew up, you know, we're all saying some of these things. It's Mm -hmm. more just to become aware and to be conscious of how we use our language and what we're saying to our children, because we can pass on new beliefs and thoughts that can empower them in their financial journey. Absolutely. I I said it all the time, so I'm guilty too. (laughs) Yeah. What do you wish more parents knew? Just like, yeah, a little bit of what we've talked about already, the importance of practicing money management at a young age. I, it feels like they're too young or, you know, what if they make a mistake or they don't really get it? And I'm promising parents right now, they're much more intelligent than you realize. Um, and they are much more resilient than you realize. Mm-hmm. And so, um, just the power of these honest conversations, if you're, str- if your family is struggling right now, it's okay to tell your kids that. Now, don't make it scary and say, oh, we don't know if we can pay for food, but just say, you know, things, money's a little tight right now. Things might look a little bit different. The holidays might look a little bit different. We're all pitching in as a family to get through this and it's going to be better. Uh, you know, we, we, we have every hope that it's going to be better next year. And so you put it in a, in a, in a positive light, but you're being honest with them. And, and kids are so resilient. They'll step up and say, okay, you know, I understand I can do my part and not whine and, and get through this time. And it really binds families together and makes them much stronger too. And so I really feel like, you know, one money management is huge, practicing, practicing money management and two, those honest conversations just go so far as far as sharing your numbers, sharing your situations, sharing your stories, sharing your beginnings. It, it's very empowerful. Oh, yes. And I think like you were saying, whenever we make those decisions together and have those conversations as a family, it is like teamwork. It's something that we can empower our children. We we're doing this together as a team. And then we can celebrate together when we get to a place where we feel like we have more abundance and we're able to eat out more, do whatever, you know? Yeah. My, uh, I have have a 17 year old and he watched us go through our process of paying Mm. off debt and canceled cable and sold off our cars and all of that. And he is an amazing money manager now. And I've never seen a 17 year old so good with his money, but that I think it was because he saw what we went through and we, we bind it together as a family and push through the situation. Yeah. He was in the lab, right? He got to see the work in action. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about that because there is this thought that in order, you paid off an an incredible, an enormous amount of debt in a short amount of time. And so Mm -hmm. there's this thought that in order to do something like that, you already have to be rich. Like it's just not possible for the average person. And I've met so many people now that have even gained financial independence with 30 or $40,000 a year 
jobs. Mm -hmm. So how did you do it? And what advice do you have for parents that are feeling like they're in that pit, like they're just struggling and they're never going to be able to get out? What advice do you have for them? So it can be done. It can be done. We were living off of my teacher income at the time. Um, my husband was bringing money, but my I was the main breadwinner. We had two kids in daycare. Um, so it absolutely can be done, but it's a huge sacrifice. Like I said, we canceled everything. We pared everything down that we could. We sold, I had a car, a, a pretty much brand new car. We sold that, paid off the loan, bought a cash car. Um, it was you know, and people made fun of my husband for the car that he drove to work. Um, and you just have to learn to tune those voices out because you know that you're doing what's best for you and your family and you just keep pushing through. And we, we chose to go very extreme and get it all paid off as soon as possible because we were sick of carrying it. Um, we had a, our eat out budget was like $50 a month for the four of us. Now, granted, my kids were little, so that went a little bit further, but still, I mean, it was very, very extreme. I was doing once a month cooking to make sure that the groceries were used and used right away and didn't go to waste. Um, and I knew exactly what I needed when I went to the grocery store so that there was no extra bought. Um, it took a lot of effort, um, but it can absolutely be done. And I just want to encourage family, you know, what we did, we went through the Dave Ramsey program, and the other way we kept motivated was to listen to his podcast and listen to yeah. story after story of families getting out of debt. And so, you know, that is not only do you need to get the decision to get to, to want to do it to, and to make the changes, but you got to keep the motivation going. And so um, a podcast like that one or something else is a great way to do that. Yes. And we listen to that. I love it. I love staying motivated because it's one of those things. It's like, you have to keep grooming, right? You have mm -hmm. to keep the practices because otherwise it's so easy in our society and our culture just to slip off and be like, I want this and that and buying above your means or whatever. <laughs> so tell me how it felt when you got to the other side and you were disciplined and you stayed focused and you paid off that debt. What did it feel like? Gosh, it felt like we had climbed Mount Everest. I mean, it felt like, you know, it was the most empowering accomplishment of our lives. And that's the, I, I channel that feeling when I'm facing something hard, like I've yeah. done something hard before and I know what it feels like to get on the other side and I know that it's worth it. And so, yeah, it was so freeing. I mean, our marriage is strong, so strong now compared to what it was. And we get to enjoy our family. And um, you talked very early on in the podcast, you talked about emergencies as homeowners, there's always something, right? But the amazing thing is, is that when you have an emergency fund or when you're in a better financial situation, there really are very few emergencies. There's some yeah. inconveniences like, well, shoot, now I got to go get a washer, right? But yeah. it's not oh, how, you know, if I buy a washer, now I can't buy groceries. Or if I, you know, if, if I can't afford a washer, I'm going to reach for a credit card. And so it's so empowering to live life on your terms. It allowed me to leave my teaching position. I was a classroom teacher for 20 years and I really was ready for a change. And, but I couldn't because I was trapped. I was trapped because we needed every penny that I could bring into the house. And so, um, that really allowed me to pivot and to chase my dreams. And my husband's career has soared. And I think it's because he is, a fr you know, he's much more open and relaxed and happy. And so that makes people want to work with him more. And he's gotten all kinds of promotions and stuff too out of it. Wow. Oh my gosh. So yeah, you're, you're the epitome of this financial health being one of the pillars of wellness. I mean, it completely changed your life. And yeah. the word that came to my mind was freedom. 
I talk to medical students a lot because being a physician, I know that physicians are some of the worst when it comes to financial stress Mm -hmm. because we are taught repeatedly that it's okay to take a bunch of loans because you're going to be able to pay it back. But what happens is you end up sometimes trapped in a job that you don't want to be in because you, you have to keep making that much money in order to continue to pay off your debt and live at the means that you want to live at. But I love your message of it can be done. You don't have to make an enormous amount of money in order to do it, but you do have to have discipline. You have to stay motivated, Mm -hmm. keep talking to other people who are doing this with you, listen to the podcast, read the books. I love Dave Ramsey's program. I think it really works well to get out of debt very for sure. And so we also followed those same concepts, but I just love your story. That's wonderful and beautiful. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, let's talk about your habits because I ask all my guests, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Hmm. Um, this is a tough one. I think for me, it's, it's something simple, but it's kind of been a big deal is that, um, I drink a very healthy smoothie for breakfast every morning. Um, and that was a huge change for me. I really enjoyed my breakfast. Um, and I had to, you know, change a lot of habits to make that happen. And it's a, my family is, has a history of diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so it is a smoothie that is designed specifically for helping you maintain your blood sugar and control your blood sugar. And so I made that change and I have kept with it for a really long time. And so um, I guess that's one of the habits that I'm most proud of is just a really healthy start in the morning. Um, I keep with it just because it's on, it's on automatic now. Like mm-hmm. there's no question of if I'm going to eat something else. I just go make my smoothie and and it's done. And the thing about food that I've learned as I get older is that, you know, yes, I want to splurge on the donuts or whatever. But the fact is, is that when I'm done eating that, I'm done eat like it doesn't stay with me all day. So I can enjoy, you know what I mean? Like if the enjoyment of a donut only lasts as long as I eat that donut, as opposed to eating a really healthy smoothie, you know, maybe I don't enjoy it, but the benefits of it last for a really long time. And so those are the things that I remind myself when I want to splurge once in a while. Yes. No, I understand exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about that authentic pleasure of consuming something that makes your whole body feel good, not just in the moment, but for mm-hmm. hours later versus that mouth pleasure that you get. Cause yes. believe me, I love me some donuts. Okay. So <laughs> I love donuts, but I agree that it's only like five minutes and not only does it not last, but then in like five, 10 minutes, you may not feel good, have some heartburn, get mm-hmm. that sugar crash, feel like taking a nap. So yeah. That's, so what do you put in your smoothie? Um, so I follow the fab four. So it's got to have, um, a, a source of fiber, a source of uh, healthy fat, protein and greens. So that could be any, you know, a uh, Fiber could be chia seed. A healthy fat would be maybe a quarter of an avocado, um, some protein powder and some kale. And then I throw in some cocoa powder or some cinnamon or something to give it a little, a little bit of a taste. Nice. I like it. That sounds awesome. And yeah, greens are so important. Such a rich source of antioxidants and nitric oxide for your blood vessels. So that sounds really great. Kelly, this has been so awesome. I've loved this conversation. You have so many good tips and I want more people to know where they can connect with you and more about your program. So please tell us more about it. 
Yes. Um, I have a website. It's uh, thesmartmoneyacademy.com. All four words, thesmartmoneyacademy.com. And then also on Facebook and on Instagram uh, with the same handles, thesmartmoneyacademy.com. Um, and you can reach me. Um, there, my email links are there or you can message me and I'd love to, to connect. Yeah. Tell me more about the program. How does it run and is it continuous or does it have enrollment certain times of year and who do you take? Okay. So I've got three different programs. Um, the first one is for younger kids. So ages nine and up, um, that is being offered online. And I actually am kind of on a break right now because with school, it's a little bit difficult to work around everybody's schedules, but those yeah. are usually available in the spring and the summertime. We do those live because kids need that live interaction. Um, and so I will do some on online and I'll do some in person this coming year. Um, I have a teen program. I love my teen program. It is all online and it's all video based. So they can do that on their own terms. Um, so the, the teen program is called launch. It, the kids come away with a five-year plan. That's the plan to help them get started off. Well, what, what are the minimum things that I need to know to be successful when I first move out of the house. And then they get a 50 year plan to set them up for retirement, right? Like Whoa. what are the things? Yes. What are the, what are the things I need to be doing to make sure that I have money to retire and retire well when the time comes. And so my five-year plan, 50 year plan, that's launch for teens, probably about 15, 16 and up all the way through young adulthood. I've got adults that take it. Um, nowhere in the sign up do I ask for an age. So, you know, feel free. To <laughs> I'm a teen at heart. <laughs> right, there you go. Um, and then I have a mini course for parents just uh, to talk, to build on some of those things that we talked about today. Um, and that again is video based. That one's pretty quick. Just kind of get your feet wet, you know, just how to build a positive money mindset for your kids um, at home and get them started off on a great path. Oh, that's awesome. What great resources. Okay. So they can find this at thesmartmoneyacademy.com. Yes. Right now you're not enrolling for the young one, young kids, but probably will be maybe 2021. Mm -hmm. See if how things go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but the teen program and the mini course look like they're available year round, right? Yes. And the teen program, you know, parents, we've always got those grandparents saying, what do I get? What do I get? You know, so-and-so for Christmas, this is what you get them, right? This is a, this is a gift that will last a lifetime. Yes. The gift that keeps on giving. I love it. Okay, Kelly, leave us with one call to action. What one thing can we as parents start doing today to help our children become financially confident? All right. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but talk to your kids, talk to your kids, talk to them. You know, it talking removes that shame. And so when they have as adults, when they have questions and you haven't talked about it at home, they're going to be afraid to come talk to you now you know, or when, when the time comes. So start talking now about your struggles, your successes, their money, your money, just remove the stigma, open up the conversations. And so that when the time comes and they have struggles or they have questions, they know they, they can come to you because you are a safe place. Yes. Yeah. All right. Y'all heard it. Talk to your kids about money. Start those conversations early, be transparent and help your kids learn all of these wonderful concepts. Kelly, thank you so much for being on Veggie Doctor Radio. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and all of these fabulous tips. And I'm so grateful that you do what you do because I know that you're just really changing a lot of people's lives for so many years to come. So thank you so much for being on Veggie Doctor Radio. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 
Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.